Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes. I'm Cassie Robel, the Director of Education and Community Engagement. And I'm Kathleen Trott, the shop manager for the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. Thank you all for joining us today. In this podcast series, we're going to introduce you to all the departments and people that are necessary to produce the operas that you enjoy. If you listened to last month's episode, Meet the Studio Artists, we announced that we would be speaking to Alice, the costume designer for the Copper Queen. We have had to reschedule, and we'll be releasing that episode later this season. In this episode, you will meet Shelby Joyner, the first hand and painter dyer in the costume shop. off this episode, here is last month's trivia answer. Okay, so we asked our studio artists, what is the length of the shortest opera? 28 minutes, 7 minutes, 4 minutes, or 13 minutes? And the answer is, Miguel's The Deliverance of Theseus, which is 7 minutes long. We are joined today by Shelby Joyner, the first hand and painter dyer for the Arizona Opera Costume Shop. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're excited to get Shelby in uh, to take some of her time to chat with us about exactly what a painter dyer and a first hand do. Definitely. If, if you were to ask me what either of those things do, I mean, painter dyer, dyer is fairly self-explanatory, but I don't know in what way it's used for opera. So I'm really excited to learn about what these things really are. Yeah. So Shelby, why don't you start with painter dyer and tell us exactly what that means in context of uh, theater in general, but also the opera. Okay. For, wait, but Cassie, I want to know what your answer would be. If you were just like, like, what's your answer for what a painter dyer is? What a painter dyer is? Yeah. I mean, only because I've seen some of your work, I feel like I could explain a little bit more about what it is. But I, I mean, when you walk into the costume shop, they have a room with this huge painter dyer bucket <laughs> that Shelby magically. <laughs> that Shelby. It's a vat. Listeners, a vat, not a bucket. That makes it sound like we could just buy it at Home Depot and it's got like a little handle and a click-on lid. This is a big fancy metal thing that the Stallards were nice enough to purchase for us. <laughs> All right. Well, I do know. So I do know that the vat heats up and Shelby puts her magical color combinations in when you tell her that you want something to be pink and the, this certain shade of pink and she puts the colors in and puts your fabric in and comes out and is the color or colors or I think that you Cassie should describe all of our jobs yep. because she makes it sound like Shelby's like the fairy godmother of fabric, which is amazing. That's what your title should be, Shelby. Get me a crown. <laughs> the, the painter part is more self-explanatory. I assume you paint on yeah. fabric. <laughs> See? That was great. The dire part is a little more complicated to A little me. more vague, I guess. It is. All so right. what actually yeah. is a painter dyer? I mean, you you were very close. You did nail it with some technicalities missing. But yeah, um, so 
designers will dream up these beautiful drawings and renderings and what they want their characters to look like and they'll show me these renderings and then they'll go shopping and the fabric won't exist in the world so I get to make that vision happen for them so if something is a really pale boring green but they want a really bright green and the specific stripe I'm talking about CC Sickler here because <laughs> I've had to do it for her CC Sickler is our cutter draper in yeah, the costume yeah. shop that she we... also does design sometimes we... for us and so um Charlie Parker's Yardbird was one of CC's designs and Falstaff yeah. was one of her designs. Falstaff is particularly the item that Shelby is referencing yeah. in this moment in time. Yeah. It's just the one I always think of because it was this green stripe that she wanted, but it was a really pale green and CC wanted a bright yeah. grass green. And so she asked me to make it that way and I did. And that pretty much sums it up. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> I... I we also end up asking Shelby, because she is really sort of the fairy godmother of fabric, <laughs> to uh, supplement patterns that are on fabric. So a really good example is the purple dress from Writers of the Purple Sage uh, was white in its original fabric existence. It's a solid white fabric that's cotton that has an eyelet woven into the bottom. An eyelet is a kind of lace pattern. There was no color on it at all. Um, and Shelby had to make that fabric be purple. And then she had to hand paint all of the color that's on the hem of it on because we wanted to have color on that. And that is really common that a painter yeah. dyer ends up taking fabric and puts flowers on it in supplemental ways or adds a color to a stripe mm-hmm. or... Um, you know, that kind of thing where the fabric is close, but it isn't quite right, especially with historical things, because we just can't buy fabric the way that it used to exist. Before we get too far into the episode, I want to let all the listeners know that um, if you visit our Arizona Opera On Demand channel, I will actually create a collage of some of Shelby's works. Oh, yeah. So you can see what we are talking about, including the piece from Riders that was just talked about. Yeah. I mean, to I guess to put it in perspective, that dress that Kathleen's talking about took 20 hours to paint the hem of it. So it's time consuming. Sometimes it's tedious, but that is a part of what the job entails. I think the last part of painting dyeing that you also end up doing that I bet nobody really thinks of is distressing. My favorite. (laughs) Yeah, nobody thinks about distressing. I almost don't even think about distressing sometimes, but yeah. So that means, um, what's an example? The um, shining brow. Shining brow, great. The the construction workers from the turn of the century, those guys had to be distressed. Like they had been working on a job site for, I don't know how long, forever, as long as they've been doing it. And those a lot of those things that I was given to distress started brand new or they started a different color and distressing involves sanding and using rasps and um, rocks and all kinds of really weird things that you could buy at Home Depot like tools that you would find in someone's garage and 
then it involves the dyeing and painting on top of that airbrushing it is a lot kind of, of complicated too yeah i like to call that passive distressing you just wash it over and over and over again or you let it soak and to make it look soft because if someone has been wearing a shirt for five years it's not going to look brand new out of the package and sometimes that's the only option we have so i passively distress <laughs> i can definitely speak to the patience and <laughs> skill it takes to distress um when we did shining brow there were pants in the teens that shelled 20s maybe even i think i don't remember at least 15 15 minimum there were there were enough that shelby kind of went around and said if anyone wants to take a break and distress some pants and yeah. i jumped in and was like yeah absolutely and sit down at this table with scissors and like mm-hmm. almost like cheese graters and things yeah. like that i lasted about an hour before i was like yeah i'm done so yeah, you would have <laughs> no idea that the toll it takes on your body sometimes to distress because if you're distressing an entire pair of jeans you try try sanding an entire pair of jeans and then let me know how it goes because you're tired by the end of it in case yeah it, it sort of reiterates why you're like oh this pair of jeans that i've bought from this expensive store is two hundred dollars yeah yeah because someone had to put all of those holes in that pair of jeans that make them look like they've exactly. existed for five years yeah i get it i would charge two hundred dollars too for a pair <laughs> of jeans yeah <laughs> so you also mentioned that on top of painting and dyeing and distressing and that sort of things you are also the first hand yes. what is a first hand in a costume shop So the simplest way I can describe it is um, I get the pattern pieces from our cutter draper and then I lay them out on the fabric and then I cut those pieces out and then I give those pieces to our stitcher or stitchers and then they build it. So that's the easiest way for me to sort of describe what a first hand is when you really water it down how how did shelby remind me how did we end up with you how did you come to us in your magical state well (laughs) earlier i was joking that a stork dropped me off (laughs) that's not sometimes it feels like that i don't remember a time when we didn't have a shelby (laughs) yeah i don't remember not being here truthfully but Uh, I was at ASU, I was an arts studies major, so it was really vague, and I needed a performing arts credit, and I do not in any way, shape, or form want to be on stage in front of the curtain. So (laughs) I reached out to my advisor and I asked if I could do an internship with a theater somewhere as that performing arts credit. I was completely trying to like jump through hoops avoid and avoid being on do stage. it my own way oh, yeah. I went way out of my way to avoid being on stage and it ended in a career so it worked out for me I mean it reiterates the fact that most of us are not here instead of performing we are here because this is what we want to do we're not aspiring actors who have failed out from acting <clears throat> yes I'm quite the opposite right. <laughs> um so he said yes and I emailed all of the theaters in the valley and Kathleen or it was yeah Kathleen emailed me back and was like sure we'll take you as an intern so I got my performing arts credit and then um we had to share you with yes the scene shop yeah 
so Shelby interned partially with the scene shop and partially with the costume shop mm-hmm. that first semester. Yeah, it was a semester, yeah, um, which was great and fun. But then I always like to say the costume shop adopted me. Mm-hmm. They, like, kept me. So I ended up staying there. I worked through the summer because then they decided to pay me, which was excellent. <laughs> it's the dream, really. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and then in the fall, I think I'm remembering this right. You were we started, an apprentice. We started our, um, it was the first year mm-hmm. of the production apprenticeship. And I was lucky enough to be the first, one of the first in the round. Yeah. So first yeah. year apprentice, second year apprentice, and then... I went off on my own for a little while, still working part-time here, and then I came back. And uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, in between your first-year apprenticeship and your second-year apprenticeship, <laughs> yeah. you went and... Because in your first-year apprenticeship, we had a painter dyer mm-hmm. come and teach a class. Mm-hmm. A master class. Uh-huh. And in that class, you, I think... If I'm misspeaking for you, you please correct me. I think that was the moment when you were like, oh, no, this is what I want to do. Oh, yeah. I remember so vividly. It just clicked. I can remember, like, two specific times in my life when I knew I wanted to work in theater Mm -hmm. and then when I knew I wanted to be a painter dyer. And one of those, that was during that class. It was like, oh, this makes so much sense to me. Everything about it makes sense. Which is... One of the, like, we're so lucky that we have the apprentice program here and that Dr. Paul helped start it. Um, Because I think it feels safe to say that without that program, I don't know that your life would be exactly where it is, right? No, I don't. I feel confident saying no, it would not be. Because painting and dyeing isn't something. I think that in education, like when we go to school, a lot of us are like, introduced to the idea that it has to happen in some capacity sometimes but it's not very often a thing that's really taught or studied or no and if you're me and you didn't go to school for theater right you have no No clue at all that that is a category (laughs) or a possibility so that was like really cool eye-opening and then you went I think you went to Telluride yeah Colorado yeah and took a whole bunch of specific painting and dyeing classes Mm -hmm. and learned a whole bunch of techniques so then we were able to bring Shelby back for her second year as a journeyman apprentice and the difference for us is that when you come back as a journeyman apprentice the idea is that you will spend at least 75 percent of your apprenticeship doing that thing right so Shelby came back and was primarily a painter dyer for us yeah and And that that was that was a good year for it uh, I feel lucky that it lined up the way it did because mm-hmm. that was the year we did Riders of the Purple Sage the first time, Correct. which has a lot of distressing in it. Like we talked about that the purple, purple dress. dress. There were yeah. a lot of projects we had to work on. That was also the year we did Butterfly. Butterfly. Mm-hmm. So I had, I painted quite a bit for that one yeah. too. Yeah, uh, Sons, one of her whole looks was completely from, again, Sorry, I do this a lot, I guess. We started with white fabric, and Shelby had to dye it pink, and then she had to ombre dye up part of it and then hand paint mm-hmm. because I couldn't find a kimono that was that the right color that had the right cherry blossom pattern on it, so Shelby made it exist out of basically nothing. <laughs> yeah. Out of silk yardage. Yeah, so I feel like that was a really great year for me to come back 
as a journeyman apprentice mm-hmm. and be doing painting and dyeing because mm-hmm. I did a lot that year. So that was great. As someone who does not live in the costume world, I, I'm excited for you all to see the pictures of these. Since we're talking about all this dye work that you've done by hand, can you explain some different techniques you use for dyeing? We mentioned ombre um, that has happened. And what is your favorite technique when you dye? Ooh, that's a good question. I actually... <laughs> I don't like ombre. I love how it turns out. <laughs> Let me take your question and flip it by telling you what I don't like. Perfect. That's fine. And, and then I'll tell you my favorite. But uh, I like how ombre turns out. It's just tr- tricky to do. And all designers want it. And I get it. It's beautiful. But it is not my favorite. Um, but yeah, ombre. And I, when the density of fabric color grades. Yes. So... For example, it's dark, dark red, and then it goes seamlessly, it goes up to a medium red, to a light red, to a pale red, to a white, all in one piece of fabric. There aren't seams that happen to make that happen. Yeah, like lines, obvious lines don't yeah. happen. Sometimes sometimes you sometimes do want it. Sometimes on purpose, but generally but often you don't. is graded. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, there's also just something called union dyeing, and it kind of sounds like what it is. It's just a solid dye. So you put yardage in, in my dye bucket and <laughs> <laughs> and um, let it sit, and it's all one solid color. Probably my favorite, though, is modeling on purpose, So, which is kind of a tie-dye shibori Everybody knows what tie-dye is, but shibori is a Japanese technique. It's technically tie-dye, too, um, but you use... Classier. Classier tie-dye. Yeah, we're not... I'm not talking, like, the tie-dye t-shirt that you found at Mission Beach in California. That's not what we're we're saying. Um, But it's tying with strings or stitching into it or using clamps or going twisting it and putting it around a dowel rod and and dyeing it that way because that's how you can get really cool striking designs and patterns and textures on it visual textures without um it just looks good i just like it a lot that's probably my favorite We are going to take a quick break from the episode to talk about some of Arizona Opera's upcoming events. So our main events that we're going to talk about today are our master classes in January. We have one on January 8th that's Intro to Watercolor Techniques, and our second one is January 22nd that's Intro to Millinery. You go on our website in the ticketing tab and you purchase a kit, and then we're going to talk with you about how to do these things They're a really fun thing to do for yourself or a great gift to give to the craft person in your life who seems to have all the crafts that they need but always wants to learn a new skill. I participated in the first uh, version of this and it was a lot of fun so I encourage you to visit our website azopera.org. Follow us as usual on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you follow us in those places you won't miss any announcements of upcoming masterclass. Kathleen and I hope that you had a happy holiday and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode.
What is the craziest or weirdest or coolest or all of them thing that you have ever been involved in? Um, like with the opera specifically? Anything. Sure. Oh. No, I mean either. And yeah. you say involved in like with that my you work. Made? <laughs> yeah, that you made, that you created, that um, you. I mean, I always think that this is really cool. The concerts that you've done, wardrobe for. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. anything. Yeah, I also do wardrobe, but um, I think the the weirdest to me is always. This isn't really specific for one thing, but it's anytime I distress something. There are moments when the very best thing you can do is just put on whatever it is and distress it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's always so fun. So you need dirty, like, smudges on the thighs of pants. Well, I'm just going to put them on. I'm, I have a three-dimensional body, and I need this to look three-dimensional. So I'm going to put it on and, and I'll wear them and I'll distress them that way. Yeah. So that it looks more natural. Well, the like the painting smocks that um, are in Bohem, mm-hmm. they have to look like he actually was painting yeah. so while for, he was wearing them. For so. some authenticity, yeah. I end up wearing the thing sometimes. And I every time while I have it on, I'm like, this this is weird. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what else you've done that's like, that I know that you've done that's weird and interesting that people wouldn't maybe have thought of or realized. I mean, the bullet holes oh, for... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. For writers, there, there are two bullet holes in that show. I did those. That mm-hmm. was weird because you got to go to a weird place to think about yeah. what a bullet hole would look like on someone. Yeah. yeah, you sort of as a painter dyer, you end up being a little bit of like a scientist. You're like, I'm a forensic scientist in some ways. Like, what would happen to a shirt if a knife were to have slashed across it? How old is this wound? All of those yeah. things. What shade of red does this blood need to be? How, lo- how long ago did he get stabbed? Right. Is it still wet or not? Yeah. yeah. Those are the weird, weird things that I have do to you, think about. Do you create, like, so I don't know if we've ever done this. I think we have where, like, you see, I mean, on movies, it happens all the time. But, like, if someone is getting stabbed in an opera and, like, you actually see blood happen, uh-huh. is that in your realm? or That's Alita. You... That's Alita. Oh, yeah. that's our wigs and makeup Correct. Person. Yeah. Active blood happening lands in makeup and wigs. So are you, like, painting or dying or anything to, like, no, because nothing is there first, right? Yeah. Theoretically, they have no injuries. Yeah. And then, yeah. Well, yeah, so Shelby paints and dies ones that have we don't see previously happen. happened. Okay. And it is a, yeah. Gotcha. Or... She could also, if you're tricky about it, you could paint it so that way it looks like it just happened and mask it. And then, so we can witness it happening on stage because we've masked it being exposed. Like, that's sort of what happened with Bess in Writers is that her shirt always had that bullet hole on it. It was just covered up by a poncho until the moment when we exposed it. it. Yeah, right? that makes sense. It's like stage tricks yeah that you don't even know yeah happening <laughs> I love it yeah. Shelby do you have a dream project something you would love to do anytime in your life 
I want to paint or dye something for Beyonce so bad. And I know that it will never, ever, ever happen. But you, heard, you heard it here. Anyone listening? <laughs> yeah. If you have a connection to Beyonce, to Beyonce, hook me up. <laughs> like, so bad. That would be so fun. <laughs> I don't know specifically what it would be. But I would even bust out some millinery skills for her. And I don't like doing millinery. That's That's hat making. Oh, that's probably actually one of the weirdest things that you've done. Speaking of that, and it's not specifically related to Painter Dyer. No. But but we had these. (laughs) Magic Flute is just an odd show because it is just an odd show. But we had um, these hats that needed to look like they were made out of sticks. But they still existed in a top hat shape. And so Shelby got wrangled in during, I don't even know if that was your, for, was that, that was your, my, that was my intern year. Your internship? I didn't know any yeah, better yet. Yeah, she didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what she was getting into for that. Yeah, so she had to do a whole bunch of weird stuff for Magic Flute because she was over in sets too, so there was so much weird stuff for that show. Yeah. And so she, I made one and then I was like, okay, Shelby, like this. So she Here was sitting at the table with this thermoplastic heating it up and rolling it into little sticks and weaving it together to make little hats yep. out of it. Have a really nice Weird. scar on my arm from, from that heat, heat gun. gun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heat guns and soldering guns. Danger. I think that every single one of us who's ever done craft, we've been gotten by them. It's mm-hmm. just... It's inevitable. Firsthand yeah. slash painter dyer slash anything else <laughs> I love it I mean much. that's what happens when you're in, an intern that's the thing that's beautiful about being an intern in an apprenticeship at Arizona Opera is that we make sure that you do lots of different things so Shelby got to do so many things a ton of crafts that year but since um, Shelby was an apprentice I kind of relate this to in my head as an apprentice you are almost test driving things so you yeah, pretty much you learn are. everything it's kind of like when I was in college as a musician you know I test drove all the different the percussion in- section the yeah and yeah. i i took a semester of snare drum and i looked at my professor and said nope nope next <laughs> you know and then yeah. fell in love with the maroon but very similar like if i hadn't had that experience i wouldn't know so you kind of <clears throat> but yeah really anything outside i like to read um but then b- believe it or not i do die stuff in my spare time too <laughs> well i think that uh not just in your spare time as your supplemental job slash career, yes. you own a dye shop and sell some of your products, right? Yeah, I have. I so I own and created SJ Dye Works is what I call it, and that is my supplemental side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll throw a link to that for you in the comments yeah. of this. Yeah, Shelby does really, really beautiful. I, I'm playing with doing paper. I'm working on some earrings right now. So I'm expanding it and kind of playing with that sort of thing. But yeah, that's my spare time job, side hustle, <laughs> craft, hobby, all of the above. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Um, so then you like being outside, right? Mm-hmm. So is there some place then where you would really love to travel that you haven't yet? Yeah, anywhere... I really want to get to um, Spain. Uh-huh. Bad. <laughs> I've been wanting to go to Spain for a long time. So that is number one on my list. Why Spain? <clears throat> the architecture. Barcelona specifically. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I really want to go see Gaudi's work and his his architecture there. Shelby's a really, a really good example of someone who 
um, I think is sort of the quintessential theater person in that you're good at lots and lots of things and you enjoy doing lots and lots of things. What the heck are you going to do as a profession? Oh, this, because mm -hmm. it requires you to have lots of skills, know lots of stuff. You have to have a lot of general history. You have to be willing to learn. You have to like hands-on things. Yeah. Theater I feel is like, really a every man. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of, as someone who admittedly kind of, while I play instruments, I missed the artistic creative boat somehow. Um, and I admire everyone in the costume shop and the scenic studio, um, specifically Elena Maniscalco, who is yeah. our props supervisor, uh -huh. um, who hopefully will be joining us soon on one of these podcasts, I feel like is the same way. She is our props master, but she, right now we're talking about, she's, you know, staining a bar for me and she's painting chairs and she's yeah. so, she's sewing this and sewing that. Like she does it all, even yeah. though she's our props master. That's not it. I mean, I mean, you're kind of forced. You either learn it all and you do it all, or you don't succeed. Yeah. That sounds harsh, but that's kind of the reality of it. You, you sort of, you will be the most successful if you are able to do a lot of different things and if you're willing to do all of those things. So I learned that quickly, <laughs> which turned out to be really helpful. Yeah. So Shelby, since we have you here, since we're lucky enough, we um, this season have taken advantage even more so than normal of your skill set. And we're doing mini master classes and master classes. Um, the first mini master class I did was my Dye 101 is what I like to call it. And it involved color theory, um, fiber types, dye types, um so that and was the different first. different fibers need different kinds of dyes <clears throat> right right because not everything can all be dyed that's something I think that people don't realize there's a lot of chemistry in Shelby's job yeah it's I, I always say I love how painting and dyeing is the like marriage of art and science mm -hmm. it's it's very chemistry based yeah because it matters what the fabric is physically made up of at a molecular level how you dye it how you dye it what you use what temperature the water is what else you're putting in the water i yeah. could go on for a long time how big of a dye bucket you need yeah <laughs> um and then what so and you did a mini master class on distressing i did yeah distressing that was tools techniques um f techniques for how to distress specifically blood if you've been dragged down a river what does sweat look like yeah. that kind of thing and i think you did we did a fun little halloween oh yeah there's a video yeah. that was up on our facebook that was that was zombie yeah. mud blood from the grave right <laughs> <laughs> and then we're doing master classes so we're doing it in december but we will redo it again later in the season so if our listeners missed it in december they'll be able to catch it later um, and what's that first one? It, so we're doing hand painting. So that means taking a piece of silk is what we're using for this class specifically. Um, putting it in a little embroidery hoop because you need it to be taut. And then using a water-based resist out of an applicator bottle. Drawing or tracing a design on it. And then using a fiber paint called DynaFlow to paint onto the... Thing that you've traced with the resist and then washing it and then heat setting it and now you have this cute little piece of 
mm-hmm. art. And this is a technique that we use a lot for kimono and stuff. Yes. And I know a lot of you are probably saying, uh, where do I get that? So when you purchase your ticket for these on our Arizona Opera website, azopera.org, your ticket cost includes this link to a meeting mm-hmm. that um, is a live virtual interaction, able to ask questions. And we can either mail your kit to you or you can come pick pick it up up. at the Mm -hmm. Opera Center. And we'll record the class and give you then the link to the recording too. So that way, two months from now, when you decide you want to do it again, but you can't remember exactly how the thing worked, you can watch the recording again to get a refresher for it. This is a really amazing thing that the costume shop is doing that I hope you all take advantage of. I can't. I can't wait to take mm-hmm. advantage and of I it. And I think the second master class that you're teaching is a technique we actually haven't talked about so far today. Oh, we haven't. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that one? <laughs> it's burnout velvet. So um, we were talking about fiber types. Mm-hmm. This would very much involve the different fiber types. Um, you take a piece of velvet, and you it's a solid piece of velvet, white, and you use, it's called fiber etch. It's similar consistency to the resist that I was talking about. And you use the applicator bottle, draw or trace a design onto your um, velvet and then heat it. The velvet pile flakes off after the fiber etch has been on it and been heated and is dry. And then this is my favorite part because you pour two different colors mm-hmm. of dye in, of dye into the same dye pot, and so it just looks like looks this like big mud. pot of muddy colored water. Yeah, it looks like dirty dishwater. And uh, you put your velvet piece into it, and the velvet part is one color, and the silk backing is another color. It's it's, it's like magic. See, we get into Shelby. Really, is the fairy godmother of fabric because it does feel like magic yeah when you do this it does not even now i'm i don't it doesn't seem like it should work yeah (laughs) even though you've done it countless times yeah you're like oh and you put it in Mm -hmm. and it comes out and it's amazing like bright pink and bright green and the water looks brown like mud colored water coffee colored and it comes out and it's so good and it's very similar like glass etching right so this is the same thing you're putting a kind of acid chemical mm-hmm. on it and it takes away part of it the pile yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, i mean that has everything to do with the science chemistry. and chemistry yeah 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 of the dye and the fibers because silk takes one sort of dye and mm-hmm. the velvet takes another kind of dye and that's how that's how it works how it works yeah it's so fun yeah. I'm so excited to take these classes. I hope you are too. I'm just, again, like I said, I'm thrilled that the costume shop is able to put this on in such a trying time for all of us. It kind of, while we'll all be in our own homes taking these classes, you know, we're all working on the same materials with the same products. You get to interact in some way. Yeah. We're, I think we're really excited to teach them too. I was going to say, it's fun for us too. Yeah. To get to do it. And I think it's nice to be able to share with our patrons to connect and share with our patrons the skills that we have, to let them see that the things that we do are doable. So we're looking forward to So thank you, it. Shelby. Thank you, Kathleen. Yeah. Thank you, everyone else in the future. These, these will go on through the spring. Um, so just thank you to everyone for allowing this opportunity. And I can't wait to take advantage of it with yeah. you all. And I always have a soft spot in my heart for classes since that's what that's how realize. I figured out what yeah, I wanted to do absolutely. so teaching always makes me feel like maybe I'm paying it forward yeah 
somebody so, else. Yeah, yeah, like you said. I feel the same way about it. We too. like yeah. doing it yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Shelby, for sharing all of that yeah. info with us. I think we're going to um, do our fun little trivia questions. Okay, I'm scared. <laughs> you don't have to be scared. So um, we didn't. Ex- I didn't explain it very well last time, and it kind of confused them. But so I'm going to ask a question and give you some answers. Okay. And you'll guess, and then we will reveal the answers on the next episode. I don't know the answers either. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Cassie and and um, we're not keeping score, but um, Robert, our Robert, studio yeah, our studio is. pianist is apparently keeping score. He said he was going to. That's hilarious. <laughs> Maybe we should make a chart and put it up in the costume shop with little stars. Stars, yeah. like we're in kindergarten. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Um, the infamous mask from the movie Halloween was actually a famous person's face. Whose was it? Christopher Plummer. William Shatner, Richard Nixon, or Albert Einstein? And I, do I a answer? Yeah. William Shatner. Cassie? I'm about to admit something that people are going to be upset about, but I've never seen the movie Halloween. I haven't seen it all the way through either. Oh, that makes me feel better. I hate Halloween, and Kathleen loves Halloween, so that but makes I, me feel better. I don't like the grimy, gory yeah. part of it. I like the cute part of it. So I really have no reference, um, but I'm going to go with Albert Einstein, because he looks kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fair guess. Thank you for joining us for our fourth episode of Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes. Join us next month as we sit down with Elena Maniscalco, the prop supervisor at Arizona Opera. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is made possible by our lead digital sponsors for the 2021 season, Ron and Kay McDougall. This program is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of Arizona Opera Next Gen, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible through the support of Karen Fruin, Roma Witkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Valentine Family Foundation, APS, and Jody Pelusi. This podcast is produced by its hosts with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.